before I begin, I do want to say uh, how, how dear many of you in this room are to me. Uh, it's only been a year since I've been here, and as you were announcing the, the 4th of July party, that was like our first thing we did as a family. Uh, we went and joined you and, uh, and saw the fireworks together. <clears throat> but in a short amount of time, I've gotten to know a lot of you, a lot of your stories, and you're some amazing, amazing people in this room, some of, of which I've only met within like the last month. Some of I've met all the way back in Peru. And from all that gap, it's been an amazing time. So it's been a really high privilege uh, to serve alongside of you this past year. Uh, some of you may not know, uh, our family has been through a lot of transition uh, these past four years. Uh, we served in Peru, South America for over about 10 years. And we came back in 2014. And we, I'm from Arkansas, so we landed there at our lake house uh, trying to figure out life. And we moved to Atlanta uh, for several years, had a great year of equipping there uh, at Perimeter Church. And then we came here last year uh, thinking that we were going to plant a church here in Miami. And uh, things did not go as we thought they would and um, in a good way. Uh, And so uh, we are now going uh, to Arkansas once again to try to figure out life. So there's been a lot of transition for us. Four years with my four daughters. This is our fourth move. And, um, and this text tonight has been a very, very dear passage. God used this passage when we moved from Peru to, uh, to back to the United States. And I'll close with that story. And, and so I, I have no doubt that many of you in this place tonight have gone through a big transition, are in the middle of one, are about to go through one. So this is a very, very pertinent passage and topic for the people of Brickle. This is like a Brickle theme. Um, and so one thing is for certain, all of us within the year will go, undergo some big transition. It may not mean you're moving, but it may be a, a change in a relationship, a change in uh, status or, or whatever it may be, there's going to be some big transition that most of us will go through. And I pray, and my desire is that this passage will give you great encouragement and help orient you as you go through some of these difficult times or challenging times. And so what we're going to do tonight is we look at Psalm 23. We're not going to do it verse by verse. We're just going to look at three aspects, three aspects uh, of this psalm. The first point is going to be really quick. So you don't think that the second point is going to be really quick. My longest point is the second point. Just to, for those who are, are like uh, to anticipate what's coming, you nerds out there, the second point is long. So I'm be looking at your wife going, oh, no, he's not going to finish the third. And like it's like two hours later. No, no. The third point is pretty short as well. So um, the first thing I want to share with you about this psalm is that when David is writing this, he is writing about his personal journey. Uh, he is probably an elderly man, uh, closer to death, and he is looking back on his life. And he is considering what the Lord himself, as his shepherd, has brought him through life. And if you just look through the psalm and think through it with me, as a young shepherd, you knew that David was a shepherd, right? And that's where he t- God taught him in isolation in, uh, as an anonymous young man, he, God taught him how to be a true shepherd. And there, God taught him to give him a, a, a heart after himself. 
And at a young age, uh, he was surprised uh, by Samuel, the prophet, and he was anointed king even though there was another king in the land, and he was given the path of righteousness for, for David. And then as Saul found out that there was another anointed king in the land, Saul got jealous, if you know, and he chased him through his valley of the shadow of death, where he was, it was a very fearful time for David. Um, and there he, uh, God protected him with his rod and his staff, and even in the presence of his enemies, God provided for him for those many years in the wilderness. And, and then towards the end of his life, you remember David really wanted and desired to build the temple the, for, for God to have his presence there. And he longed to dwell in the house of the Lord. So we see here that this psalm is a picture of David's journey. Now, I, I think the, one of the reasons why this song is so relatable is because it's not just a picture of David's journey, but it's a picture of the journey of life in general. And all of us have this journey as well. They're all unique. They all have different routes and pathways and starting points and ending points. But one of the things that is the same, there is a predictable pattern and with milestones that we must all go through. And so let me put it this way. To get to the house of the Lord, where David talks about, we must pass through the valley. And that's what I really want to talk about tonight is the valley. So that's the, 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 the big point uh, of the text tonight. So what exactly is this valley, this valley of the shadow of death? I think I have a picture um, that I put up there. And, and what it is is that in the Middle East, the, um, the shepherds, they had migratory patterns where they had, when it was rainy, they had to go to one part of the, of the country, and then they would migrate over to different fields, if you will, uh, and have their sheep gather, uh, have their sheep graze. And so if they went from one place of grazing to another place, they would have to pass through a place called wadis. The next slide shows a, a wadi. And there it is. That's kind of an exaggerated one, but that is a, what is he's talking about here, a, a, which is a valley. And it was uh, a wadi, if you know, is a, a dry riverbed. And during the, the rainy season, it fills up with water, and, it, and it's impassable. But during the dry season, when, when these shepherds would migrate, it was drier. And so they would pass through this valley. Now, this, these valleys, these wadis, were not safe places. Uh, there was a shepherd who lived in the Middle East, and he wrote a book, uh, and this is what he said. He said, all the dangers of rampaging rivers and flood, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, the ravages of predators that raid the flock, or the awesome storms of sleet and hail and snow were all familiar to the shepherd. So to pass through the valley as a shepherd with his sheep, it was a very dangerous thing. It wasn't a walk in the park. Now, interestingly, David describes this valley with two descriptions, death and darkness. Now, it could be literal death. It could, uh, a sheep could get killed by uh, a predator in the, in the valley, but I think David, as he's thinking back on his life, he's not just thinking about just death in general. I think he's thinking about all the losses, all the failures, all the, all the mishaps that he has had in his life. 
And, and that's really what he's talking about here. It's, it's anytime you say, it's gone, it's over, I can't go back, and nothing will be the same. Have you been there? Where you, you can't go back to where it used to be, and you know that nothing else is going to be the same. Well, that's death in the valley. But there's another description, and that's the description of darkness. And darkness is when you have no idea where you are. You've been in dark rooms. It's terrifying. If you don't have any phone or light, it's, if you've been into a cave, it's a terrifying experience to be in utter darkness. And as you pass through darkness and smell death all around you, it's a frightening place to be. It's a place where there is no clarity. It's a place where you don't know really where you're going and it's often riddled with confusion. It's like you're totally confused. You're like turned around. It's easy to get turned around. You don't know where you're going. You're, and, and, and I tell me, I, I tell you, I love, I love more than anything, clarity. I love it. And so darkness has been a struggle for me. It's been a big struggle. Um, so all uh, the worst in, during this time, often God is silent. You don't hear God. You don't feel God. You don't sense that he's around you because it's confusing. And you don't know how to make sense of it all. Now, we pass through this dark valley. We normally feel, as you probably already assumed, anxious and afraid and confused. All these emotions, all the negative emotions come out during this time. And, and the valley may be anything from a divorce or a loss of a job, or a loss of a loved one, or it could be a desire to get pregnant and you can't, or maybe a desire to get married and you haven't, or it's, a, or it's some kind of conflict within your marriage or within a conflict within your, within your family, or it's a change of job. It could be any of these things. All, a lot of these things take us through these dark, deep valleys full of death. Now, one of my favorite authors, he's a pastor and uh, author, his name is Peter Scazzaro. He's written a series of books called Emotional Healthy Spirituality, and he calls this valley the wall. And I have a quote here uh, that has about what his description of the wall. He says, the wall is a crisis that turns our world upside down. We question ourselves we question God and the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers. The very foundation of our faith is on the line, and we don't know where, where God is. We don't know where, where he's doing and where he is taking us and how, we're getting, uh, getting us, uh, how he is getting us there or when it will be over. You been there? And all throughout Scripture, if you feel like you're there, you're in good company. You're in very good company because almost every single major biblical figure has gone through a valley. Think about it. David himself, he was on the run for over eight years. He was anointed king, and he was on the run in caves, in wildernesses. He had opportunities, to, to and people were saying, kill Saul. God's giving me your hand. He didn't do it. Abraham and Sarah were called out at 80. They were 80 years old. Are there any 80-year-olds in this room tonight? And if you don't feel like God's called you to something yet, maybe he'll do it at 80. And then when he does, 
Maybe you have to wait 25 years before it comes to fruition. 25 years, Abraham and Sarah. Joseph, we talked about him in the last sermon series. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. 13 years, he was going from one darkness to the one valley through another. Moses killed an Egyptian and fled in the desert. You know how long he was in the valley? 40 years. Hannah, the godly woman who had Samuel, almost all of her life she was in this valley wanting to have a child. You're in good company because the Bible is, it has people all throughout it that can identify with you. Now, why? Why would God want us to go down in this deep place? I think we get a clue if you look at your Bibles or look at uh, the, the, uh, your bulletin. In verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, what is that? What's the path of righteousness? Some people translate it this way. It's the right path that you or I would not choose for ourselves. It's the right path that you would like, you know, if, the, if it was the easy way and the hard way, God takes you down the hard way, and it somehow you would have never picked that place. But when you get through it, you're like, I'm so glad I went that way and not the other. That's what it is. And guess where the, that righteous path takes us. It's in the, the next verse, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is where the righteous path leads us. That's where God takes us. And he's doing this for his name sake. And just a little side point here. That means that there are no shortcuts. What I mean is there's no way to go over the valley. You can't build a bridge over it. You can't walk around it and try to find another way. No, you can't dig a tunnel under it. You got to just go through it. Every single one of us. No exceptions. Everybody will go through the valley if you're not already there right now. And you'll go through it multiple times in your life. That is what this psalm is saying. And if you are there right now, I just want to say to you, it is okay. It is okay. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to feel that God has abandoned you. It's okay to have questions. It is okay. It's not American, but it is okay. America does not like this. Miami does not like this. But this is biblical, and this is truth. Now, one of the greatest needs of the American church is to develop a safe place for people to process this valley. And I'm going to tell you this past year, you guys have it. Here at this church, you have this place to process. It's very unusual. It's very unique. And, and it's a strength of yours. It's a very big strength of when I think of Crossbridge Brickle, I will always think of that great community that you have to process without people ridiculing you, giving margin to, and time, and no one's pushing you. No one's trying to make you do anything you don't want to do. They're just, they're just loving you and giving you time to process. It's your strength. But you know, Every strength has got a shadow. Every strength has got a weakness. So as I was praying and thinking about what does God want to say to the church of Brickle before I leave, this is, this is what I want to say. Miami is a very transient city. I'm evidence of that, right? Thought I was going to be here 30 years and out a year. I'll be, I, won't be, I won't be the last either. 
But Brickell is the most transient place in Miami, or one of them at least, if not the number one. People move all the time. I think we had like 12 families in the last six months who've left. And thankfully, the Funderburks have come back to join us. Thank you coming back from Auburn. That, brothers and sisters, friends, that is not normal. You are sitting in an unnormal situation. And let me put it this way. If it wasn't transit like that, this church would be, oh, well, over 200 people right now. Just because everyone keeps leaving. God just keeps moving people out. Your community has more, is more like language school. Has anyone been to language school in another country before? I've been to multiple ones uh, uh, in Guatemala, in Peru, some with my family, some by myself. I was in one for over six months. And, uh, and one of the things that you share with pe- people from all over the world are learning, um, for me, I was learning Spanish. And, and everyone is there. They're all struggling. It's so hard. You're so stressed. But one thing unites the whole group, the whole school, and that is everybody's struggling. And almost everybody at the school speaks English. And so you make these really fast relationships at language school. When you're there a long time, what happens is, is you get into this rhythm of saying hello and goodbye a lot. And after about three rounds of that, you're like, wait a minute. And the new people come, you're like, I don't know if I want to do it. They're just going to be gone anyway, and I'm about to be gone too, so why do it? And I find myself about after three rounds saying, not really saying hello to anybody anymore. Um, and so I think your community at Brickell is more similar to language school than more in other churches in the, in the United States. And so here's, here's the challenge. Will you continue to open your hearts to new people over and over and over again. Some of them are in the room right now. There's some new people here right now, and they're asking the same question to you, and you have done it, and you've done it well. So my encouragement to you is keep opening up your heart. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck to say goodbye so many times. It's, it's just it's going to feel like grief all over and over again. But with every grief, it enables you to enlarge your soul to love well. And so I'm just telling you, this is a great strength of yours. And I think that God has a bright future for you. But please don't close your hearts to new people as you continue to say hello and goodbye to, uh, to new people. So that's another word I thought that, as I was praying that God maybe wanted me to share it with you. What about me? What about, what about what's going on with Alan and Sandy and his family? You know, what happened, you know? Well, I, don't, I can't go into all the details. I can say this, that there, was, there were some things that changed, and, and, and it was more some in, internal changes in Alan's heart than external circumstances and situations. Um, and, 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 and Miami has been a valley of sorts for me and for some in my family as well. Uh, it has been one of the hardest times in my professional life. Um, had a dream of planting a church for over six years. This is, it's not just it's past year. This has been going on since Peru, really. Um, and so, but what I've learned that I didn't, I didn't know beforehand is something I want to share with you is one big finding that God gave me an aha moment for me. And uh, I may say, you're like, ah, you should have learned that years ago. Well, I did. I'm a little slow. And so this is what I learned is that my limitations 
is God's great gift to me. When I can't do something, it's not something, some obstacle that I'm going to break down or kick down, but it's God showing me his gifts to me. It's a gift. I'm 40 years old. I have a wife with four daughters. Two are getting close to college. I'm from the South. I speak English. Um, I'm very white in a very brown culture. I'm just showing, I'm telling you facts. But all of those things are also limitations. They can be also openings, but in certain places, they're limitations. I'm not as flexible in, as I used to be. As when I had like one kid or two kids or like one or two years old, you can move anywhere. They don't affect them. But when they start having their friends, you can't just pick up a move every two years. It really affects them. And so these are limitations that God has sovereignly placed in my life. And so um, Paul is a person who also talks about limitations. And we think about the thorn in the flesh that he had. We don't know what it is, but we know that it was God's grace to him. We know that when he was weak, God made him strong. We know that through this thorn, whatever it was, God gave a, a revelation to him. He, and he also guided Paul through this limitation. And so as you consider your life, as I consider my life, let us both consider that our limitations are not something that we have to overcome always, but that may be the very means of God focusing your life. That is not a very common thing you would hear out in the culture, especially when they, they say that you could take anything and do anything. And when you're younger and there's time and the opportunities, you can. And I'm not saying try for big things. Take huge risks. Do all that in faith. But also know that we are all limited. So the big question of this text is if, we're, if everybody goes through the valley, how do we get out of the valley? Like that's what I want to know, right? How do you get out? I'm looking at it, studying it, looking at the original language, trying to find clues. And I'm going to tell you what I found. You ready? I have no clue. I have no idea how you get out of the valley. I don't. I think a lot of people have been written a lot of books that try to explain this, but I'm telling you, I don't think there's an answer on step one, step two, step three, how to get out of the valley. It's not there. But we know who takes us out. And that's my last point. We know who takes us out of the valley. And that's the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And we know from the New Testament who the Lord is. We know who the good shepherd is. It's Jesus himself is the good shepherd. Jesus himself walked this journey of life like David and like us. And he himself walked through death itself. And he's the only one to come out the other side of that one. So it's interesting, as you look at Psalm 23, we don't bring Bibles to church anymore. We all got on our phones. But if, when you go back to your, and you pick up your Bible, Look at Psalm, the psalm that immediately precedes Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and I think the order of the Psalter, the Psalms, is divinely inspired as well. And, and Psalm 22 immediately precedes Psalm 23. And if you have your Bible, just thumb there and look. What does it say? 
I'm going I'm to say it, I'm going to quote it, and you're going to immediately know what it is. You ready? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus' psalm of the cross. The spirit of the Messiah was singing through David centuries before Jesus physically, literally went through his valley. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, he talks about all these different things, the piercings, people dividing up his clothes. And Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, had a nervous breakdown. If you clinically look at what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was scared out of his mind. As he was walking through his valley, he wasn't like all calm and peaceful and, and just like quietly going through it. You know, why I know, you know how I know? Is that in Luke's account, it said that when he was praying, he bled drops of blood. That is a physical condition that when you're under distress, it literally breaks your veins or what, I'm not sure how to describe it in doctor's terms. Maybe Dr. Yamil or someone other doctor in the house can explain it for us, but I know this not much. It, he was not like going, make this cup pass for me. He was probably screaming so loud that it broke his blood vessels in his head that he bled, he, he sweated blood. He was scared. Is, is that, do you have room in your theology for a scared Jesus? I hope you do because it will comfort you because this is the shepherd who has walked through the valley for you. He has walked through the valley and the rod and the staff were there with him. The staff was guiding him there, but the rod of God's judgment was upon him for us. He did it for us. The shepherd, he did it for us. And he came out the other side victorious. And so he did that because he, know, he knows we can't make it through the valley on our own. He knows we can't make it through death on our own. He knows that we, we can't understand darkness on our own. Now here's the good news for you today. Is right after he talks about the valley, two, two, two really neat observations. One is this. Is that in the valley, I, I forgot to say this earlier, that, and this is going to sound super technical, but it's, it's helpful. In verses 1 through 3, it's in the, it's in the third person. He, 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 he. He uh, makes, my, makes me lie down. He leads me beside waters. He restores my soul. Then when he gets to the valley, it shifts to you. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Do you know what it's saying there? That in the valley, there is more intimacy with God. He is closer. To, he feels closer. He's, he know, even though he may not feel like God's talking to him, he knows that God is personally with him in the death, in the darkness, in a way that he cannot fully explain. And, and another thing I want to make an observation is, is when we follow Jesus and he is as the one who's walked through the valley for us. Goodness and mercy, it says, follows me all the days of our life. Now, I typically as a pastor do not critique uh, an English translation. But this is one of those rare times I have to. Because the word follow is not 
the original word. It's pursue. Relentless pursuit is the way the Hebrew literally reads. Goodness and mercy relentlessly pursues me all the days of my life, even in that valley, even in that dark time, even when you feel like you're running away from God, even when you think that you're Jonah, you're just going to, he says, go right, and you go left. Even when you think that no one knows what you're going through, he is Mercy and goodness will pursue you there. Pursues you there because he loves you. And he wants to help you through this valley. Jesus, you see, is a good, good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He will not lose, not a one. And the Bible also says that the sheep knows the voice of the shepherd. He knows When you call out to him, he hears you. He recognizes your voice, and you recognize his voice. Maybe tonight you're hearing the shepherd speak to you. And if he is speaking to you, respond. He wants you to respond. He is not going to force this upon you. He's gentle. But he wants for you to walk with him. And without even knowing it, he is beating off your enemies with his rod and his staff. Now, that's... A quick meditation on Psalm 23. And I want to close by telling you a story of um, when we uh, were coming back from Peru to, to uh, what they call the passport country. Because, you know, if you live overseas for a while, coming back to the United States doesn't always feel like home. It feels like where you grew up, but it's not really home. Home is uh, in heaven with Jesus. And so as we were going from one chaotic situation to another, uh, our friends said, uh, who are missionaries, I said, it's best to take a vacation, to go and, and just relax and don't worry about what's happening uh, because uh, people who, who, you're, who you're leaving don't really understand what's going on and the people that you're going to be greeting uh, back in the United States, they really don't understand what's going on either. So just take a vacation. And I was like, that's great advice. The only problem with that is there wasn't much dinero in the, in the account. And so I uh, called up my dad, told him what was going on, and he's like, you know what, son? Oh, this is appropriate. It's Father's Day. Uh, He said, you know what, son? How about I come and get you in Peru? And let's take that vacation you talked about. Where do you want to go? And we're like, oh, okay, we live on the coast. We know the coast of Peru really well. We've been to La Sierra very well. We've been to Cusco and Cajamarca. We haven't been to the low jungle. We hear Iquitos is amazing. So let's go to the jungles. Let's go to Iquitos. He's like, let's do it. So he met us in Lima. We went to Iquitos, which is the most remote city in the world. Uh, you can't get there by, uh, you can't drive there. You either take a, uh, a two-week boat or you fly in. And uh, so we get to Iquitos, and we uh, planned out our, our trip. And one of the things, every day we had a different excursions. And uh, one of the most highlighted excursion was the canopy walk. Has anyone here done a canopy walk? You know, you get on trees, you go up higher and higher. Everyone's kind of slowly raising their hands. Thank you, thank you. I'm not asking to make a commitment for Jesus. You can if you want to, but you know. <laughs> so on the canopy walk, I, I asked the uh, person who organized this trip, I say, look, I have a, a three-year-old, my Eva, who's here with us tonight. She's seven now. She won't mean to tell you that. Almost eight. Seven and a half, but she was three at the time. And my dad was 63. Uh, not too old, but you know, enough to ask. It's like, so 
can a three-year-old and a 63-year-old go? And he said, you know what? We've had two-year-olds. We had 82-year-olds here. And it's Peru. Who cares? I'm like, okay. Well, so, so we go. So we, just, we get the trip. And so I guess I have a series of pictures here. What's the first picture? So um, is there one of us uh, uh, on a boat? There we are. So we, we go from our place to a small boat. And we go to, a, a, I'm not sure if it's an island or what, but we get on a moto taxi, and then we get on another boat, and we go way deep in the jungle. We're going way far back. And then we get off the boat, and then we start hiking. We start trekking. Um, <clears throat> and so we're trekking. Uh, Eva can't, you know, she's three. You know, she's on my shoulders. And if you, the next picture you'll see is going deeper into the jungle. I'm telling you, this is the deepest I've ever been in the jungle of my life. And so we get, finally get, after hours of hiking into the jungle, to the canopy walk. And it starts off like a, you would a ropes course, if you've seen a ropes course. You have stairs that go up to this platform, this wooden platform. And I think I have another picture. Yeah. So it's basically two-by-fours uh, uh, pieced together on aluminum ladders. Okay? And uh, you have a cargo net, as you see, and you have a safety rope at the top. Okay? And so, I'm on TV here, so i got to get back here. Um, so you, it's okay. What you have to do is you put your, both your hands on the safety rope, and you put one foot in front of the other, and you do fine. And you can get, get out in the middle and start doing this. I mean, if it's a long bridge, you're swinging really a whole lot. And the higher up you go, the longer the bridges get. And there was bridges that were like from this wall like out to that tree or, for, or past the, 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 um, the road. They were long, long bridges. And so here we are in the middle of the jungle, and my, my family starts going on the bridge. I have some more adventurous uh, daughters that were just running out, and, and my dad gets out there. You know, he's, he's a 60-year-old. He's doing good. I'm like, yeah. And so I'm in the back with three-year-old Eva, and so Eva takes five brave steps. She takes out one, two, three, and she's out there in the middle, and there's one big problem. You see, Eva's three, and she cannot reach the safety ropes. And so all she could reach was the cargo net. And so as she reached the cargo net, I mean, she was doing this, and, she, and so it was terrifying. And so she froze. And so I'm thinking to myself, what do I do? I'm like, I can't go back. I mean, I, mean, I don't even know how to get back if I wanted to. Like, I can't like, wait somewhere. So the only thing I had in my head was, the only thing, option I had was just to pick her up and put her in my arms. And so I pick her up, and I can feel her little body immediately, whoo, relax. She relaxed. She relaxed in my arms. And she starts playing with my hair. She starts noticing the butterflies all around. She starts hearing the monkeys in the distance. And so I'm like, yay, Eva, you're happy now. And so I'm like walking. And what happens with me is that I lose an arm on the safety rope. And, and she, there's more weight to one side. So what happens to me? I'm doing this. And so I go, Deep, like this. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning over now. Okay? So I'm leaning like this, walking on the, on, the, on, the, on the bridge. And there's another problem. Her little booty is over the cargo net. So if she flips backwards, she's going to fall off. And no one's going to stop her. And I'm thinking, I'm like the only thing between her and death. And so we go across and we finally, when we finally get more relaxed, and I have a video, I think, of, uh, of us going to the highest point here. Just trying to keep my eyes on the planks. Okay. 
That was nerve-wracking. I'm first. I don't think I would have been nerve-wracked if I was. Okay, so there's my adventurous one. I'm first. So, all right, so you can hold it there for a second, then we'll go to the next one. Fast forward the next day. Why am I telling you the story? When I go through transition, I'm, a, my, I'm, a, I'm in a wreck. I'm an emotional wreck. And so I typically go to the Psalms because that's what the Psalms are. It's an emotional wreck. And so in my planned reading for that next morning was Psalm 23. I didn't just go there randomly. It was like there. I, I read Psalm 22 before the night before and Psalm 23 this day. And so I started reading it. And have you, I, I've had this experience just a couple times in my life, but it was almost like I was hearing the audible voice of God. He's like, Alan, do you remember yesterday on, on the canopy walk? Remember Eva and how nervous you were and how, how you were freaking out on, on the canopy walk? And I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, well, remember how Eva got up into your arms and she relaxed? He's like, I do. He's like, well, Alan, you need to get in my arms now. I know you don't know where you're going. And we didn't. I mean, we were coming back to the United States, had no plans to go back. We didn't know if we were going back to Peru or what was lying ahead. We're kind of in the same situation now. We're going to Arkansas. We're looking for a new job. We don't really know what's ahead of us. But the word that I received was a paraphrase of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And this is what I heard. I got this. I got you. Alan, I got you. All you have to do is just get in my arms and let me take you. Yes, you don't know where the next bridge is taking you. And yes, you don't either. But I'm telling you, my God is your God if you're in Christ Jesus. And my Father has also got you. He, it's not just for me. It's, this is his, the, of the, the heart of the Father for all of us. So as we uh, pack up our bags, well, they're already packed, and as the movers come tomorrow and as we drive away on Tuesday, know that we are trusting that God has gotten us. And my prayer is that also for you, that you trust that God has got you. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know if God has got me, it's so easy. All you have to do is believe in the shepherd, and he will take you up in his arms, and he will help you through the valley. Let's pray.